So if you turn to Philippians chapter 2, like Tom was mentioning, verse 19, I want to read through verse 30, and then we'll jump in. Philippians 2, 19 through 30. One thing that happened while I was gone was I can't see properly anymore. So, um, all right, verse 19 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him, just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The word of God that is fully authoritative and trustworthy in every single way you might be able to imagine. The kids, um, who, who is, this is true for all of us here in this room, but for kids in particular, just, just let, me, let me have your attention if you're, if you're a kid here in this room. Who do you want to be like? When you think of somebody in the world, um, maybe in your house, maybe it's somebody in the world, who, who is it that you want to be like? Who do you want, who do you look at and you say, man, if I could be anybody, I'd be like that guy, or I'd be like that woman. Maybe it's a sports star, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a brother or sister, maybe it's a teacher, maybe it's a military hero. There are lots of people that we want to be like, and those are good things. We like certain aspects of people's character and lives and want to be like them. But what I'd like you to do today is to listen specifically to what I'm going to say from Philippians chapter 2 and see what kind of person the Holy Spirit, that is God, the Holy Spirit, would want you to be like. Because listen, when, when, we, when we read this book, like it's not just a book like any book. This is, this is God speaking to you. So it's like Paul's writing, the Apostle Paul, very important, want to be like him, but, but it's the Holy Spirit that's truly speaking to you this morning. And he's saying, I want you to be like these guys. Now, the point I want to make from the text today is simply this, that Sovereign Grace Church Dayton specifically will experience real joy through humble servants living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And Paul had exhorted the local church earlier in his letter, and he said this in chapter 1, verse 27. He says, only, kind of like a, a culmination, he says it later on as well in Philippians, look, look, if, if you get one thing, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. 
So he goes on to talk about lots of things, lots of, lots of ways to live, but this is an overarching and undergirding exhortation. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Live in such a way as to reflect the gospel of Jesus in the church and in the world in which you live. And so again, he goes on to talk about how you can do that. What are some... Um, ways you can live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And recall how Paul stated just earlier in this chapter that we're in, he began with an exhortation to all of us to put aside rivalry, to put aside conceit, to put aside ourselves, and to humbly serve others and look first and foremost to their interests and their needs. And then he gave us a specific example of that, didn't he? And who was the example? Who was the example in Philippians 2? It's Jesus, right? Jesus was our example. Jesus is the one who he points to, a servant, <coughs> serving us even to death on a cross. He, he gave himself all the way to death. And Paul now directs our attention specifically, not to Jesus, but to two men who reflect this Jesus. People just like you and I. And he observes the grace of God at work in these men. And, and in, in doing that, in observing, in, in telling us about them, and in us observing the grace of God in these two men, we are strengthened. We are deepened in our faith. We, we, are, we are built up as, as Christians to follow him and to live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ ourselves and to experience joy. I mean, each of us are looking for joy, right? This, this, whole, this whole thing in Philippians is about indestructible joy. And so a piece of this indestructible joy is found somehow in some way by looking at these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus. Receive them with joy, Paul says. There's, there's, this, there's this joy piece of being able to see a couple of godly men, a couple of godly servants, and to be able to emulate them, to thank God for them and to follow them. And so I want us to do two things this morning. First, I want to just get to know these two guys a little bit more. And then second, I want to make a few observations, literally three observations. There are many more observations to be had, but, but three that we're going to focus on so that we might be helped this morning. We might be given joy by looking at these brothers, by being able to consider one another also, and to be able to look inside of ourselves and to ask God that he might work in a way that causes us to be like them. For they are those who look like Jesus. Sovereign Grace Dayton will experience this purposeful statement. Sovereign Grace Church Dayton, I'm interested in the church globally, right? And there's, I know there's some of you in this room who attend different churches, so like this would be true of your church as well. But, but specifically I'm saying, okay, I hear the Lord saying, shepherd the flock of God among you. So Sovereign Grace Church Dayton will experience real joy, deep joy through humble servants who live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy, the first one to look at, uh, starting in verse 19, Paul says that he has two purposes for sending Timothy to Philippi. First was so that um, the Philippians might be encouraged from hearing good news of how Paul was getting along. And second was so that Paul himself might find joy in hearing about the Philippians. So there's lots of mutual care going on here between Paul and the Philippians. And now the first time we read about Timothy 
in the New Testament is in Acts chapter 16, verse 1. And that'd be some homework for you from this sermon, from these sermons, is to, to be sitting also in Acts 16 and considering what's going on in Acts 16. For from Acts 16, verse 1, we, we come to understand that, that Timothy was from Lystra and was the son of a mixed marriage. His dad was a Greek pagan, and his mom, Eunice, was a devout Jew. Uh, Paul tells us in the second letter that he wrote to Timothy that he had been raised on the scriptures, and his mom and his grandma, whose name was Lois, taught him the scriptures from early on. Um, Most people believe that Paul led Timothy to saving faith in Christ during Paul's first missionary journey somewhere around 47 AD. And then a few years later, he joins Paul and travels with him uh, for most of his ministry experiences, missionary journeys. And eventually he settles down in the city uh, that we know as Ephesus, most likely as an elder or a pastor in that local church. So that's just a, a general quick overview of Timothy. Now, now, what does Paul think of Timothy? Three things, three reasons. Verses 20 through 24, the, why he wants to send Timothy to Philippi rather than someone else. The first reason is that in verse 20, Paul says, I got no one like this guy. There is literally no one like Timothy to him. The New American Standard Bible says, uh, there's no one else is of kindred spirit for all of you Anne of Green Gables lovers out there. He was Paul's kindred spirit. In other words, sending Timothy to the Philippians would be almost like going himself. So if he can't go, man, I, I, Timothy, Timothy would reflect everything down to the letter exactly as, I, I love you so much. We'll see you in a moment. I love you so much. I want to say specific things to you. Timothy's the guy. Timothy knows everything. He's been with me longest. Timothy was in Philippi. You know Timothy. I know Timothy. I love Timothy. There's no one else like him. Second reason he wants to send them is that no one else will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. In fact, Paul says in verse 21, he uses the term they. They don't care about you whatsoever. And the they, it seems like, point back to chapter 1, verse 15 and 17. Just people that are in ministry or in that kind of thing for purposes that are not primarily about caring for Uh, the Christians there. It is they, he says, who seek all their own interests, not the interests of Jesus Christ. Verse 21. Paul's clearly saying that to be concerned for other Christians, as Timothy was for the Philippian church, it equals concern for Christ. Listen, Listen to that. Hear that. Concern for other Christians equals concern for Christ. Love for other Christians empathy with other Christians, sympathy with other Christians, deep affection for other Christians equals being concerned for Christ. And of course, then to not be concerned for other Christians or to think haphazardly about other Christians ultimately gets to the root cause, and that is that someone might very well not be concerned for Christ. As much as you've done it for the least of these, my brothers, right? You've done it unto me. Stated simply, to love other Christians is to love Christ. Paul, Paul is pretty much stating to the Philippians, look, these other people don't truly love you. They don't genuinely care for you. You feel it, you know it, but the reason why they don't is because they don't love Jesus. 
That's how clear-cut Paul is. He's not nuancing the the situation. He's saying, look, they they don't truly love you. There's not genuine love there. They're all about themselves. And that means that they don't care about Christ. Because if they were concerned for the interests of Christ, they would be concerned for the welfare of his body, his people. The Apostle John says it this way in 1 John 5, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father in serving the same, sorry, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. You hear that? Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. There's an equation there. The author of Hebrews writes, For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you've shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. Serve the saints. You you show the love of Christ by serving the saints and caring for him. And Paul simply knows that Timothy has the interest of Jesus Christ and the glory of Jesus Christ uppermost in his heart and in his affections because he knows how much Timothy loves the Philippians and how much he loves the Roman Christians, and how much he loves the Ephesian Christians, how much he loves Christians. He's concerned for the welfare of Christ's people, specifically letters being written to the church in Philippi. So he's speaking specifically about the Philippian church, about a local church in this little town of Philippi that is significantly important in Roman history. Throughout the last 2,000 years to this very day, there are just simply plenty of people who want to affirm the Christian faith, but they have little to do with other Christians. But the reality is you simply cannot do that. You cannot say that you love Jesus, but ignore his people. You cannot say you love Jesus and despise God's people. It's just a heart check this morning. How's your heart towards one another? The third reason Paul's sending Timothy is because of his reputation. Verse 22, Paul says, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. And so what is his reputation? Nice guy, good looking, timid. His reputation specifically was he understands the gospel. He gets the gospel, and he wants to proclaim the gospel. He wants to help people, help Christians enjoy the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants others outside of the faith to know this gospel. He he gets the gospel for himself. He needs reminded of it from time to time, just like all of us. But he knows the gospel, and he wants to share the gospel with others. He's sacrificed himself significantly for the sake of the gospel. (coughs) And he's diligently served alongside Paul in proclaiming the gospel. And so for Paul, he loves the Philippians so much, and he genuinely cares for them and is concerned for them, that he wants and intends at some point to send the one he knows he can absolutely count on, that's Timothy. I know, hands down, I can count on this guy. Timothy is an exemplary young man that the Philippians can count on entirely. But Paul can't send him yet because he needs him. Paul's in prison, tired, worn out, in Rome, most likely, and Timothy is significant help to him. 
So as much as he wants to send them, as much as he loves the Philippians and he wants to send them, he's like, I'll send them as soon as I can. He was awaiting trial. He's, away. He's, he's, he's not sure if he's going to make it. All that. And so Timothy was so important to him. And he, Paul cares for these guys. He, he loves them. He's so concerned for them. And he's concerned for Christ. But he needs Timothy with him until he sees how things go with him. Still kind of up in the air what's going to happen. And so, because he cares for the Philippians, he introduces us to someone else who is very much like Timothy, but in a different way. Trustworthy, but in a different way. Epaphroditus. A guy named Epaphroditus. We, we don't know much about the background, except we know, um, or at least we can speculate, that his parents may have thought highly of the Greek goddess of love, Aphrodite, uh, because his name has got that in it. And what we do know is that Epaphroditus was sent to Paul on behalf of the Philippian church. You can see that later on in our text. The, Epaphroditus was the guy that, Paul, that, that Philippi sent with a gift, with a financial gift that Paul also alludes to in 2 Corinthians 8. Just a, a, a generous people, significantly impoverished, but significantly generous. And it seems that Epaphroditus then stays in Rome with Paul and ministered to him as his personal aid. And he did so even after falling ill. And he did so after almost dying. Was eventually healed, and he's now being sent back to Philippi with the very letter that you and I are considering some 1950 years later, which when you just think about it, is that not amazing? 1,950 years ago, Paul's penning this letter from Rome, sends it with, the, or sends it with um, Epaphroditus back to Philippi, and the Lord keeps it for us to be able to learn from. It's his word. Epaphroditus was just an ordinary believer. He was a godly man. He was a humble man. He came to Paul's aid and he served him and he was happy to do so, even at great cost to his life. He, he did not have an education. We, we, don't, we don't know about this, but he did not have an education like Paul. We know that. Paul, top-tier education, top-tier experience, top-tier uh, uh, family life that he grew up into. And he talks about this in a little bit of how great he is. <clears throat> Excuse me. But Epaphroditus didn't have qualifications like Paul. He wasn't gifted like Paul. I mean, there's nobody gifted like Paul. Paul's Paul. And Epaphroditus, well, he's Epaphroditus. He wasn't known around Israel. He wasn't known around Asia Minor. He wasn't known around Macedonia or the greater part of Greece or Italy like Paul. He was just Epaphroditus. And, and Paul did not look down on him as an underling, and Epaphroditus seemingly was not envious of Paul. They just humbly served one another. They cared for each other. The Apostle Paul, the, the greatest biblical scholar of his day and arguably history, a man who had significant gifting and had significant spiritual power, says the following about this normal dude from Philippi. He says this, I've thought, this is verse 25, I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, listen to these terms, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and my minister and read and minister my pastor, my shepherd, my, the one who's caring for me. 
Paul calls Epaphroditus that, my minister, a minister to my need. He, he cared for Paul. He shepherded Paul. Just, just a humble servant from a small church hundreds of mile, miles away. And so often through the years, I've personally been envious of others' gifts, threatened by their success, threatened by even just honestly, you all listening to them on podcasts and whatever, and I think, well, who am I? I mean, John Piper and Steve Bice. Uh, John MacArthur, Steve Bice. The guy down the road that's so gifted, Steve Bice. You, you don't see this in Paul and Epaphroditus. I've confessed that to the Lord over and over and over again through the years, and I feel as though the Lord has freed me from so much of that to where I can just be happy and thankful for the way that God has gifted other men and other women. But you feel the struggle, don't you? The comparison struggle? We all feel this comparison struggle. Always want to be somebody else. I wish I was this, I wish I was this. Not so in Epaphroditus. Now, the guy was human, so maybe somewhere along the line. But generally speaking, the reality is he wasn't jealous of Paul. He was happy to be ser serving Paul. Paul didn't seem like he was uppity at all. He just like was super thankful for Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus may have been like a finger of the body and Paul was like a, a thigh. And what does he say to the church in Corinth? but the members of body cannot exist with each other. Paul and Epaphroditus had this really down, and I want to be more like that. Both have different giftings that are for the common good of the church, so they don't compete with each other. Rather, they recognize that they're actually needing one another, and they give thanks to God for one another. Now, it's clear that Epaphroditus was homesick, uh, to, to some extent anyway, but it is very clear that he was actually very, very sick to the point of death. So not just homesick, which is hard enough, but, but like sick to the point of death. Now, we don't know what the sickness was specifically, but Paul indicates in verse 30 that he was involved in risking his life for the work of Christ. And so the reality is Epaphroditus did not simply um, seem primarily concerned with his own welfare in his deep sickness that was brought on by risking his life for the work of Christ, but he was rather courageous as he laid his life out sacrificially for the sake of the gospel and caring for Paul and caring for the church. And amid that deathly sickness, here's what we see as his concern, verse 26. Uh, guys in particular here. I think when you have a cold, maybe you're not all like me, but like the whole man cold thing, that's me. I'm like, I, have, I get a man cold and it's serious. It's, I'm, I'm, joy must serve me. Sassy must make me gingerbread cookies. Um, those, those kind of things happen. We, we, we tend to want people to care for us. In this case, in this case, here's what Epaphroditus was thinking. He's been longing for you all and he's been distressed because you heard that he was ill. You feel the Philippians 2, considering the other person before yourself? 
His concern was for their concern for him. Even in his serious sickness, his heart and his mind was on the people whom he loved dearly, though they were hundreds of miles away. Now, Epaphroditus is not a celebrity pastor. He's no superhero. He's no MVP quarterback. No one is going to ask Epaphroditus' signature on his autobiography. No one asks men like Epaphroditus to speak at leadership events or national conferences. He's, he's hardly anyone's idea of a celebrity. Paul says to the Philippians and to us this morning, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Humble, ordinary, Christ-loving, church-loving men who give their lives for the sake of the gospel. These two men are these godly, humble, ordinary servants living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus, and the local church experiences growth in indestructible joy through humble servants like them. This is an overview of these two guys. Now let's get to three observations. Three observations that serve to describe these humble servants. One, humble servants are content with being ordinary. Humble servants are content with being ordinary. Again, nothing about either Timothy or Epaphroditus that that really set them apart in a crowd of people. Again, nothing would cause people at a large conference or on the street or in the mall to stop and stare at these guys. Look who it is. It's Epaphroditus. Uh, We really have no information about their spiritual gifts but the extent of their spiritual gifts. We know that there are spiritual gifts. We know that Timothy, Paul said, fan into flame the gift of God that was given to you by the placing on of hands. We don't know if they could preach a great sermon. We don't know if they could counsel people. We don't know if they were especially persuasive. We don't know all what they could do that would make them stand out among many. We just see what the Bible would say are normal Christian men who are worthy of honor. And Paul says it this way, speaking of himself and these two men and you and I this morning, he says this in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And so Timothy was a jar of clay. Epaphroditus was a jar of clay. Paulus Sanders is a jar of clay. Jacob Wilson is a jar of clay. Tom Heffernan is a jar of clay. Each of us are jars of clay. You think again of Timothy. He was timid. Needed to fan into flame the gift of God. Maybe he was suppressing it. We don't know. He needed the need for courage. All just like you and I. We need courage. We need boldness. We need to fan into flame the the gift that God has given us (coughs) or to pursue more. Epaphroditus, a normal Christian dude. Nothing special. He, he never went to a Sunday school class where he was, uh, had this vision of daring to be like a Daniel. He never got to the place where he was like, I just want to be like David and Goliath and throw. Just a normal guy who loved Jesus and loved his church. He wasn't vying to be the next Moses. So, so can I say this? Can you and I be thankful for our ordinariness? Steve Bice, can you be thankful for your ordinariness? Luke Weaver, can you be thankful for your ordinariness? Every single one of us, can we be thankful for our ordinariness? 
God has given us gifts of strength and power, and he's given us the spirit to gift us in all sorts of ways. But we're just ordinary people. Nobody's going to ask for this message 15 years from now. Like, it's not going to show up on some uh, reformed Puritan board or something. It's, it's just like it's just for us today. There were times, like I've said, when I've um, argued with God or, or bemoaned uh, gifting what I saw as lack of gifting and despising the gifting that I have and questioning God and, and, and kind of saying, God, why have you left me deficient when these guys just excel? Have you ever said stuff like that? Ever thought that? I wish I want to be like that guy. And in doing so, we kind of say, God, you've made me deficient. You've made me def- your, your plan is not good for me. I don't, I don't trust you. Why, why, why have you given that other person more gifting that they can achieve great things for the kingdom of God, but we ordinary people, we're just left to wallow or not see great things happen? <laughs> Brother and sister, embrace, let's embrace our ordinariness and know that by the surpassing power that God supplies, he achieves through us great things for his glory. We're ordinary, our God, not so ordinary. Extraordinary, absolutely supernaturally extraordinary. So humble servants are content with being ordinary. Are you content with being ordinary? Second observation, humble servants are unafraid of expressing love for other believers. Humble servants are unafraid of expressing love for other believers. Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, three men who expressed deep love for other believers. And I can't help but go to a text outside of Philippians and go to Acts chapter 20 just to see Paul's heart for a moment. When he gathers outside of Miletus with the Ephesian elders, he calls them to himself and they're at the shore and they're talking and Paul's teaching them, telling them last things before they go. So they're right at the Aegean Sea, uh, really close to where Joy and I were actually just this last time. And he meets with them. And after this time of exhortation, it says this, he knelt down, that is Paul, knelt down, he prayed with them all, and there was much weeping on the part of all. These are are men who love each other. They they wept. They embraced Paul. They kissed Paul, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, because probably wouldn't see him again. They would not see his face again. They accompanied him to the ship. Now, the, the love that Paul knows from God through Jesus Christ by the Spirit caused him to love Jesus to the utmost, and it compelled him in love toward all those who are in Jesus, and Timothy and Epaphroditus, and, and then they were, those Timothy and Epaphroditus were recipients of that same love and the work of the Spirit, and that compelled them to love the saints as well. And you see the pattern. God shows us his love, demonstrated for us at the cross in Christ. We would know how deep and wide and long and high the love of Christ is for and it compels us outward, loving one another with deep affection. This, this love is not simple 
relational friendliness, niceties. This love that we are observing in these men towards the saints is a 1 Corinthians 13 kind of love. 1 Corinthians 13 is, 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 is totally appropriate for a wedding, but it's, but it's most appropriate in the local church. It's written, written to a local church. Sacrificial servanthood. Patient. Kind not envying or boastful, not arrogant or rude, not insisting on its own way, not irritable, not resentful, doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. This is the kind of love between Christians and in a godly marriage. The Apostle John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from, say it, God. I was with an African-American brother the other day, and he was, he was preaching, uh, and he, he was like, come on, talk, talk to me, you know, so I don't know that I can do this here, but, but like when I say, when I say, uh, uh, like, so, somebody say something, you know, somebody say God, you know, that's the answer, so don't be afraid, God is the answer there. First Corinthians 13 kind of love, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Affection for one another is Christ-like. Weeping with another is God-like. Gentle speech patient speech, gracious speech, selfless speech. This is worthy of honor in a, a man and a woman, a Christian man and a Christian woman. Humble husbands loving their wives with this kind of love. Humble wives loving their husbands with this kind of love. Humble parents loving their kids with this kind of love. Humble Christians genuinely loving one another with this kind of Christ-like love that we see in these examples today. And humble pastors... <coughs> loving with this kind of love. And just for a moment, even though Dan's not here, hopefully he's watching, I've communicated this with him already, but I wanted to publicly honor both Dan and Cale for a moment this morning in this portion, because listen, these two men are men that I love enormously and respect so much. I loved them and respected them so much before I left on sabbatical, but hearing of the way that they've loved and cared for you, who are very dear to my heart, knowing that they would care for you, knowing that they would love you, knowing that they would come alongside you. And not just them, but Jency and Jackie and the sacrifices they made to, to free them up to serve in our absence. Godly men, godly shepherds, Men who are concerned for Christ and it shows in their concern for you. And so I want to say thank you, Cale. And thank you, Dan, if you're watching. It's an example of what we've been considering today. You brothers are a joy to me. You're a gift to us as a church family. Um, and we honor you. And we receive the gift of God in you with great joy. Can we... Please. Brothers and sisters, I am compelled to walk in a way 
that Cale is walking. I want to see Christ-likeness in him. I see Christ-likeness in Dan, and it compels me to want to be like them. And I'm like both, of them. I'm like their dads. No, I'm, I'm not, yeah, I'm, whatever. I'm one person, so I'm a dad. I'm like, whatever, so I will be quiet. All right. Third observation of final, humble servants sacrifice everything for the sake of the gospel. We saw this in Timothy, and we saw it in Epaphroditus, verse 22 and verse 30, respectively. We, we sacrifice much in this life for the sake of all sorts of things, whether it's sports or beauty or wealth or reputation. But how many hold the gospel of life and the glory of Christ in such high regard that nothing could stand in the way of making it known? Perhaps it's a man serving his wife sacrificially, loving his wife patiently, speaking with his wife graciously. Confessing to his wife with regularity concerning his failure to do any of that well. Perhaps it's reconsidering what the love of Christ is truly like in 1 Corinthians 13 and lay yourself on the altar of sacrifice to live that love out in your marriage. Perhaps it's forgiving your husband um, or your wife for that matter or your child or your parent for something that was left unsaid or something that was said something that was done or something that was not done, something that was said too harshly and impatiently and caused the hurt you feel this morning. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel compels us to know how much we've been forgiven and compels us to graciously forgive others and be kind and compassionate towards even our enemies. So how much more so those in our families? How much more so one another in the church? It doesn't matter if it's physical safety, money, personal comfort, whatever. The humble servant of God holds everything in an open hand for the sake of making Christ known, including family, including comfort, including home and country and their very life. And when I think of a man like Epaphroditus, who was sent by a small church in Philippi, an impoverished church in Philippi, to, 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 um, to go to Rome and to care for Paul and to strengthen Paul and to strengthen his ministry there, there is one person that comes from and center to me, and that is my son-in-law, Mark Waite, and my daughter, Becca. I don't know if you guys are watching right now either, but if you watch this, give thanks to God for you. Like the church in Philippi who sent Epaphroditus to Paul to care for him and become his partner in ministry, so we have sent Mark and Becca to a foreign country to strengthen the Christians that are in that country, which as you saw was 0.001% of the population. And to strengthen the pastor there and the church there, that, that little wonderful little church to strengthen them and to make inroads into a foreign land that is just devastated with false teaching. You know, we all can't go, but some can, and prayerfully more will. But we all can't go, so we sent them on our behalf to care for the church of God in that city, in that foreign country, to complete that which is lacking in our service to them. What is the thing that's lacking in our service to them? Well, our presence. 
to be there. The thing that they were saying, what they need most in that country are more Christians to move there. Just so the percentages go up a little bit. And gospel influence is just a little bit more broad. But we can't be there. And again, I pray that there's more of you in this room that would be compelled to go and join or to go to another place where the gospel is desperately in need of. Um, but Mark and Becca left home. They left what's familiar. They left family. They left all for the sake of the gospel. And Paul tells us, honor men and women like these. And don't just honor them, but follow them and their example, either at home or abroad. And so Mark and Becca, if you are watching, we do honor you and the grace of God that is a work in you and your family. And thank you for sacrificing for the sake of Christ. I know it's hard. I know you're isolated. Um, But you know, we're praying that the Lord would strengthen you and empower you for all that you're doing. And listen to this promise from Mark chapter 10. Jesus says, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come eternal life. May that encourage you. And friends, in the Solos album, if you haven't listened to the Solos album, which I don't know if it's still been on the, on the uh, sermon follow-up, it was initially. Um, it's a little different, but you listen to it over and over again, and it just becomes this wonderful thing. There is a song on that album, and I'll put it on the sermon follow-up this afternoon. There's a song called Honor These Men, and this is what he says in two lines. He says, he'll give you his life, this, this man, he'll give you his life, he'll give you himself, honor this man. He is an example of what it means to be spent for the sake of another. And the thing is, you don't have to go overseas to do this, right? It's a matter of like, with one another. Maybe it's global. Most likely, for sure, it's local. And it's in your families, hands down. What kind of man, what kind of woman is your example, brothers and sisters? What kind of man, what kind of woman is your example? Is someone like this? And Paul would have us look to men like this. Ordinary guys who giving their life, not just guys, ordinary, ordinary men and women who give their lives for the sake of the gospel in loving one another. Let me conclude. What is it that keeps us from becoming like these men? The biggest obstacle for Timothy and Epaphroditus and for you and I, for everybody else, to become, for, for Timothy and Epaphroditus to become like Paul, for us to become like Paul, Timothy, Epaphroditus, or for anybody to become like us, should there be that grace in our lives, to living in a manner worthy of the gospel, is simply this, our failure to understand and apply the gospel to our own heart. We know the gospel, we can speak the gospel, but an obstacle to living in a manner worthy of the gospel is like a misplacement of really understanding and applying it to our heart. Our fear of being ordinary or of honestly expressing our feelings of love as well as our tendency to always compare ourselves with others ultimately comes from a failure to embrace the truth that God loves us in Christ with no strings attached. (coughs) And the gospel declares that our value is in our relationship to Christ, not in our bank accounts. It's not in our success at work. It's not in our GPA. It's not in our reputation. It's not in our um, athletic prowess or intellect. 
You are a child of God by grace alone. Your worth is not determined by people. Your worth is determined not by you. Your worth is determined by the one who made you. You are his child. You are righteous by faith, not by anything that you've done, not by anything you'll ever do or haven't done or accomplished. You are loved by God entirely, and nothing can separate you from his love. Nothing. And knowing and growing and resting in that truth will absolutely liberate you to love others increasingly and sacrificially like Timothy and Epaphroditus. Living in a manner worthy of the gospel and the local church, this local church, Sovereign Grace Church in Dayton experiences real joy through godly men and women who live like this among us. And that primary obstacle, if not overcome through truly embracing all the good news of Jesus, leads to another obstacle to living life in a manner worthy of the gospel, and that is our tendency to have resolute determination to remain safe and secure and comfortable. Timothy, Epaphroditus, and thousands upon thousands throughout church history who sacrificed everything, including their own lives, evidently agreed with the Apostle Paul when he wrote this, "'Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ.'" Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and I might know the power of his resurrection and I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, sacrificing ourselves, it's not just about sacrificing ourselves, it's about recognizing he is worth all of it. And so when you see somebody like that, is it not compelling? It is so compelling. Someone's just like laid out their life and they're just, they're just living in a manner worthy of the gospel as ordinary people. I'll throw a couple of biographies out on the, um, out on the sermon follow-up this afternoon, but there's a point of application. Read a biography of, it doesn't have to be a missionary, but it could be a missionary, just a godly person. You'll find that most of these missionaries that have books written about them were just ordinary people that did not consider their lives more important than the gospel of Jesus. Just seven weeks ago, Joy and I stood among the ruins of ancient Philippi, once a thriving and important city, but now flattened on the side of a hill. Uh, not much there. Supposedly, the prison that Paul was thrown into is still there. There's, at least there's a, there's a modern sign that has an arrow that says Paul's prison. Um, small group of people being formed into a little local church there a people who were being taught to follow Christ Jesus amid a spiritually lawless and apostate people that made up their town and region and the entire Roman Empire and beyond. What, what effect could this little tiny young church in Macedonia have on their city and their region, their, the Roman Empire and the rest of the world? Who would have thought in that moment, except for a few people, who would have thought that that little church in Philippi would develop and send missionaries out and the gospel would end up in Dayton, Ohio to save you? to save me. 
How could they experience a growing and destructible joy amid the difficulties they faced in their lives? And, and then the question comes to us this morning, how do we, how do we, Sovereign Grace Church State, in a small church in a small city, in the middle of a large country, amid the growing lawlessness and apostasy that we see around us, have any effect on the people around us and this world? And how do we then experience a growing and destructible joy amid the difficulties we face in our lives? Well, for the Philippians... It didn't start with looking for Christ-like examples in the Roman government. It did not start with looking at Christ-like examples of the businessmen in the local agora or marketplace. Even the highly religious folks in their region they couldn't look at. But it began with a look inside their own hearts. As a follower of Jesus, by considering examples like Timothy and Epaphroditus, honoring them, experiencing real joy on account of the very real and powerful activity of God in them and by God's Spirit following their example. And so may we learn from their example because we will experience real joy through humble servants live in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ among us. May we be like them.